This year is brought to you by Eshel Publications. Eshel Publications is a non-profit organization dedicated to spreading the Torah, Shiurim, and Tzfarim of Rabbi Aaron Lapiansky. For sponsorships or more information, visit eshelpublications.com. First of all, I really want to thank Dirshu Rabbi Tabak for giving us this whole opportunity, not only at Eshel Torah, but in general in Johannesburg, to have Rabbi Lapiansky, a big, big Tamil Chochom, I will start to say who is Avalopiansky. It's much more than I can even start saying about him. I can just say one thing. He's a big, big Torah scholar. For many years, we were able in Eshatar in Jerusalem to study by him. And he was definitely a bridge from us in Eshatar to Yeshiva Smir and to the Olam Torah. And uh, Avalopiansky is a, a very deep person. And he really, really knows all the Torah in all the different levels. So it's a big, big, school's big opportunity. And uh, Rabbi Lupiansky, thank you for coming. And especially also to um, There's a lot of uh, old faces here that sort of haven't seen in decades. Um, I wasn't a Shatora in the 80s. And uh, it was a wonderful coup for my life, and seeing all the people here was—it's some of the same people. Is um, it's it's very satisfying seeing what kind of wonderful work they've done. Um, one, I guess, I'll need to ask a favor. I am used to speaking somewhat of a mixture of English, Hebrew, Yiddish, and although I'm going to make a conscious effort not to, if I do, please ask. I, I um, you know, it, it's something that I just don't even think about, and so it's uh, it's it's um, part of the occupational hazard of teaching full-time yeshiva. So I ask you if there are things that I just slip into it. Don't hesitate to make note of it. Okay, um, the, uh, the the issue that we're going to speak about is really an issue that is plaguing, not plaguing, I would say, challenging the religious community as such. Um, what's happened in the last 30, 40, 50 years is a lot of people have gone to yeshiva to study. They've had an extremely, extremely um, spiritual um, experience at yeshivas. Uh, it's, if it's done well, it's supposed to be something that you know, just wraps around your entire day and, and everything you do. And then when people move on to some sort of career... And um, it sort of becomes extremely um, challenging. What am I doing most of the day that's spiritual? So yes, um, davening it, it happens, and we have some time for studying, and um, giving stock is nice. And, you know, there are mitzvahs here and there. And, but at the end of the day, the vast majority of our time is occupied doing things that are mundane, secular, not particularly religious. And it becomes very challenging. It's challenging for someone who grew up in a yeshiva, where your entire day and, you know, the scope of the activities were all centered around something spiritual. It's challenging for somebody who started to become observant later on in life. And there's always that, you know, when you first enter in that world, you discover so many spiritual things. And then... You, as you move on and, and you realize that most of your days is some of the same things you've been doing, how do you deal with it? Um, I, th- I do think it's a challenge because I was of the generation, the first generation really that sort of 
started going to yeshiva for an extended period of time, and I know that the subsequent uh, groups of boys have been having that challenge, and now yeshiva is one of the things we face, and it's an issue that we struggle with. I'd like to try and touch on a few areas, um, not what would commonly be discussed. Most of the approaches deal with trying to broaden the time you spend at spiritual activities, more learning, better davening, more stuck is always good, Asia Torah is a great place to give, but um, it's not something, it's, it's, it, at the end, it still is limited in the scope. I'd like to try to extend some thoughts about what we do in, in our work and so on. Let me preface with a uh, comment by Sfas Emes. Sfas Emes was, a, was the second Ger Rebbe, tremendous thinker, lived at the turn of last century, and he, he makes the following observation. It says in the Pasuk, in this week's Sedra, You've shown, you God have shown that there's nothing in the world but God. You have, um, you have broadcast your voice from the heavens. And on the ground, He's shown you, you have, um, he has shown you the great fire and so on. Rashi says over here that he tore open the heavens, the higher heavens, and the lower heavens to show you there's nothing but God. So the Sassemis comments on what are these higher heavens and lower heavens. Or let's put it this way. If you say, I went all the way to the top, if I say I climbed Mount Everest, you don't add, and I also climbed this little mountain, this little mountain, this little mountain. If, if I'm saying Everest, I say, I tore the high heavens for you. So where's the low heavens? Like, so fine, so whatever it is. So the Sassemus makes says the following point. God hides in two ways. One way is that it is beyond us, like a world that transcends what we understand, what we could think of, what we're used to, so God hides in elevation. That's one place God hides. Another place he hides is he disguises himself in the lowest of places. And places that God exists and we could um, get a handle on it, but it's hidden. So um, it sort of parallels what the Pasuk says about the heavens and the earth. He, he, in the heavens he opened up, the higher heavens, so to speak, places that are beyond human understanding, that transcend what we could grasp. God showed us there's nothing beyond us except for God. And then God opened up, uncovered everything in the world, which is what we call the lower heavens, or the earth, and showed us that, that God is everywhere, just hidden. So there are two ways of discovering God. One is elevation, and one is uncovering places where he is. Um, in Hasidic literature, that was called finding sparks of God. It was associated sometimes with quasi-mystical things, sometimes with all sorts of activities that were strange maybe, but I'm going to try to focus on something a lot more practical and so on. Let's turn to the main point. Um, and I think this is challenging for the following reason. 
many people work very hard to make a lot of money. Very few people put in that effort to stave off the debt collector. A person, when he's earning money to make millions, um, is, is, has a lot of uh, energy and, and ambition. When all that's happening is you're stuffing holes, you just give up in despair and find some way out. Because we're very good at reaching goals. We don't have much desire to stay away from trouble. In reflecting in Torah um, mitzvahs, when you present a person with a positive mitzvah and you say, this is great, this is fantastic, this will enrich your life this way, this will bring you to the world to come this way, and this will accomplish this for humanity, we, we can pump ourselves up and we do great things. But in the, in, the, in the type of mitzvah of staying away from this is wrong and this is prohibited, this you shouldn't do, this you can't do, okay, we'll listen, but it's very hard to spend a day and being happy with what you didn't do. That's, that's, that's very, very unsatisfying. So we have a very difficult time finding any gratification out of the things that we didn't do wrong. And that is not correct. Because in the world of mitzvahs, it's very different. And I want to um, give two or three sources, and we will talk a little bit about this. The first two sources come from, actually, the world of Kabbalah. They're not Kabbalah points, but they come. one comes from Reb Chaim Vital. Reb Chaim Vital was the famous Arizal. He was the, the major... Um, publisher of Kabbalah that we relate to, <coughs> after the Zohar, which, is, which was written in the times of the Talmud, plus um, the Ari is the famous Kabbalist that he lived in the 16th century, and he's the major work on Kabbalah. He writes the following. He says, a person is not considered as having fulfilled the negative commandments in other words, the commandments against transgression, it's not, we're not considered to have fulfilled them unless we had an opportunity to sin and we refrain from doing so. And we refrain from doing so because we recognized that it was wrong to do so. Um, but if you happen to sitting around, the opportunity didn't come your way, then it's not considered a fulfillment. In other words, transgressions are not what will get you in trouble if you do it. It's an act of stopping yourself and painting something with an X. The, the, the commandment, in other words, all commandments add positive value to our spiritual stature. The, the, they both add, it's, 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 they both increase our wealth, our stature, our person. One is by doing something, and therefore the other one is by not doing, when the not doing is an act. And the only way not doing is an act is if you have real temptation and you're pulling back. The question is, are you pushing or pulling back? But both of them are activities. So pulling back 
when there's a lot of pressure to go forward, that is something that is very, very... That's the heart of what the negative mitzvahs are about. One place. A second place, he says the following. And this is very interesting. He, he's talking about... The halacha is... It's, it's, a, it's a Torah prohibition. You cannot shave this area over here. That's the payas. How much length and how much and so on. You'll ask your local rabbi. But this is one of the commandments is not shaving and so on. So he said, when you're sitting by the barber, you should make a conscious... Um, you, you should think consciously... I am now not allowing the barber to shave the area he's not supposed to. In other words, he's advising us to turn... Normally, you sit down in a barber chair, you slump, and you do whatever it is. So, if the barber knows what to do, you're basically not, not accomplishing the negative, transaction, the negative transgression. But if you sit and you say to yourself, I will not permit him to take it, then... I will, then you're fulfilling this mitzvah. So here it does says in a practical setting that a person should do that. Um, in, in line with what he had said in the other place, that the only time it's considered that I fulfilled something, that I accomplished something, is when I have a chance to do it, I don't do it. The truth is, it's actually a... Um, Talmudic passage, almost clearly. The Gemara says in Kedushin that if a person refrained from doing an Avera, from transgressing, it's, he gets a reward as if he did a mitzvah, and the Gemara shows some contradictions, and the Gemara says it depends if there was an opportunity to do it or not. Now, was there a real opportunity for you to do it? And so it's almost, um, just a little more vague, saying the same point. So the first point that we have here, and a very, very significant point is that a person is building positive blocks. He's taking blocks of mitzvahs and building himself and his person. Our understanding of Olam Haba, the world to come, is not like a carnival ticket. I don't know if they have carnival tickets here. I'm not, I don't know when I'm out of my cultural milieu on that, but um, you know, in, in America we have a car, we get the tickets, and you cash them in for a prize. So we think of mitzvahs that way, that we're cashing them in, we, you know, we get just these little little stubs, and then we'll, we'll get uh, rewards. The reward is really a revelation of who you are, and what you are. And who you are, and what you are, is to remember what you did. And the Torah gave us 613 mitzvahs to, fill, to fully build ourselves, the negative mitzvahs build us when we are in a position to refrain from doing it. Let's translate that. When a person is in a yeshiva setting, in a synagogue setting, in a, in a life that's sort of in a, in a bubble, in a spiritual bubble, so, of course, everyone has temptations and, you know, and so on. But at the end of the day, we, we're a step removed from it. By and large, if things go smoothly, that's where you, you know, you would do what we're supposed to do, and that's that. The day, the minute a person steps out and interacts with the world, 
every single um, it's every single act that we do has itself a lot of possibilities. And let's give some examples. I work for somebody. I can cut some corners. I could not show up. I could do my you know my own mail on his time. I can a thousand one thing. I could do my job less eagerly than I should be doing it. I can do it um, sort of half-heartedly. If I'm employing somebody, I could be underpaying him, um, you know, and, and so on. Many, many ways. Every time I deal in some financial deal, there's the potential for me to do something. I, could, I, I know there's always a chance to really cheat somebody totally, but there's always a chance to do something less than you should do. I talk with somebody about somebody, and it's much easier to refrain from Lashon Hara if you are in an environment where everybody's kind of holy and so on. It's not so nice when you start just talking about somebody, but we're in an office setting and you talk with people, and people talk about people. It's natural, it's normal, and that's that. Um, you, 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 you begin to sort of, you begin to have a relationship that maybe is not the healthiest relationship with somebody. Um, and all of these things are available and doable. So long as we're sitting in this room and studying about it, it's theory and it's nice and it's good. But we don't have the possibility to actualize it. We can't make it into an act. Best we can do is we can um, just sort of learn about it and so on and so forth. So doing be, being mindful of the world of mitzvahs out there makes our entire day um, full of mitzvahs. The minute we're able to make that switch in our head and understand, I guess in math you have something called absolute value, where whether it's plus or minus doesn't make a difference, we, we look at the absolute value. So the absolute value of a mitzvah is a mitzvah. Whether that mitzvah required doing or refraining, the only difference is in refraining works when you have a pull in some direction. So as a person goes through an entire day, a person can reflect, you know, it's a long day and a lot came up, and every drop that I either pulled back, or I learned to pull back. And it's a slow process. We're humans, and, it's a, and the world is very different than the values we, sh- we have. And it takes time. But, then, but every minute, every interaction we have with somebody becomes meaningful. There's something that is, um, I would say, sort of a, um, uh, a, 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 a corollary to that, or maybe a prerequisite. We feel that we are very, very um, observant if we ask our rabbi all our questions. And if a person doesn't know what to do, he should, he should ask. The one thing that it doesn't allow us to do is to free ourselves from studying and understanding it. And it's a pasuk. It's it's a it's a pasuk in Vayikra. It says, "Lahavdul ben you're obligated to distinguish between that which is pure and impure to eat." And Rashi says something on that. Rashi says, 
I don't mean that you should know that a cow is kosher and a donkey is not kosher. I don't need, no one needs to understand that. That's obvious. For, you know, if anyone knows the minimal amount. It's, it, it's imperative, he says. It's, 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 you're obligated to distinguish between a cow that has been slaughtered and the law is that 51% of the, of the cut is enough to render it kosher and 50% minus smallest amount is not kosher. So you need to strain and to learn to distinguish the difference between something that is just over the edge kosher and just under the edge not kosher. I would apply this, so, so it's not enough being observant is not, it doesn't mean complying. It means observant, with both meanings of observant. We need to be aware of the world of mitzvahs that surrounds us. Because recognizing God requires that. I, I want to use that mystical term and just give it a little practical meaning. We talk about revealing the holy sparks. So, again, this, because we, we're used to movies and imagination and we, we, we think of it as something... It's, it's, it's a lot more basic than that and, and, and a lot more challenging. I have an interaction with somebody and this person makes me an offer that I think is just under or over the line of honesty. It, it just falls short of what I would consider legal. It's quasi-legal, semi-legal, almost legal, um, whatever, whatever term you want to use, and you know it. So, so if, if you say to yourself, this is a spark of divinity waiting to be discovered. When I say, you know, I don't think I can do it, then all of a sudden something that had been wrapped in brown paper gets, you open up and it says, yes. This is a negative mitzvah for your benefit. Boom. That's, that's what you have. You've put into place a, a, a real mitzvah, and you're the one who discovered it. We started by saying that there are much of God in the lower spheres is covered and uncover it. I want to, as an aside, and I, 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 I'm hesitating whether to repeat the story or not because I don't want it to take away from the point I'm making, but it's, a, it's an unusual story, and I feel it's a big mitzvah to repeat it. Um, there is a, um, a, a, a movie, CD, I don't know, whatever you want to call it today, um, that the Agud in America put out, or maybe Torah It's about the escape to Shanghai from the, of the Mir Yeshiva. Mir Yeshiva, during World War II, was trapped between Stalin and Hitler. Never a good... None, between two hard places and two racks wasn't that a good situation. And there was a miraculous, they, they got these fake visas to Carrasso in Venezuela, and they traveled through the, the entire Russia to, to Japan, and so on and so forth. It's a great miracle. It's a story that, that stands on right as, as an incredible miracle. It saved the entire yeshiva, and that be, they became basically the teachers of Torah for that generation. It's, it's a beautiful story in its own right, and something that should be noted for the miracle quality. But they put out, they had, they put out a, 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 a video of people who were still involved in that, in, in that uh, saving, uh, in the saving of the yeshiva, and interviewed them. 
And one of these people was a man named Mr. Zupnik. I don't know if he's still alive or not. I mean, it, I, I do know Zupnik's children. One of them was a Rav Pesek, one's Rav here. It's all one family. They're very known people. And he said over the following story. You know, they had this crazy idea to get, to get these visas to Curaçao, which was a Dutch colony. It didn't exist. There was no such thing as a visa to there, but they, there's a big stamp that it says no visa needed for Curaçao. Then they needed a transit visa, and the transit visa had to go through Japan. That was the only ship, that's the only way they could go. So there was a Japanese consulate in Lithuania, in Vilna. It was crazy. There was no reason worldwide. The reason was because Japan and Germany were married in a marriage of convenience. They both were members of the, they, 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 they were allied. Or not the allies, they were ally, the Axis, and they, um, and they were, you know, they, they were fighting together. Japan, for the dowry, wanted Germany to attack Russia. That's what, that was in it for Japan. Um, they were not 100% trustful of Germany, so they sent a consulate, a consul in Vilna to keep an eye and see if he sees Germany getting ready to invade Russia. They're going to keep their end of the deal. Germany wasn't so enthralled <coughs> with Japan. The trust was mutual. So they put a Gestapo officer in as a secretary to help the Japanese consul. So in Vilna, you had a Japanese consul and a German Gestapo officer as his uh, secretary. That was the consulate of, of Mr. Zupnik, so, so they, they got these Carrasso visas. And now they have to go through Japan. And he went to the Japanese consul to get transit visas. It was, there was no other choice. I mean, they didn't, you know, it was up in the air. The con, and he, this is, he's telling the story. And the consul asks him, um, why should I give you a visa? And Zupnik said, I thought of 10,000 answers to give him. And he said, and I guess God must put the right words in my mouth. I said, to save our lives. And the guy said, okay. But he said, the visas have to be hand-painted in Japanese characters. And I'm, in 48 hours, I've been called back. In 48 hours, I'm out of here. So there's no way I could do it. So Mr. Zupnik said, you know what? Teach me how to do it, and I will sit with you. Don't just show me how to paint it. He said, fine. The Gestapo officer said, I'll do it also. He said it was a scene as surreal as can be. For 48 hours, um, the Japanese consul, Zupnik Amiria Shiva and a Gestapo officer were sitting and hand-painting these visas. And they, I think, somewhat 2,500 visas, 2,400 visas, incredible amount. When they finished the last visa, the Japanese consul got up to leave and locked up the, the uh, consulate and went back to Japan. The Gestapo officer turned to Mr. Zupnik and he said, the reason why I did this because I knew one of your people and I was extremely impressed by him and that's why I did it. And he turned around and that was it. So someday, somewhere up in heavens, a German Jew, a nice German Jew who, I don't know, was an accountant, a businessman, is coming up and, and there's this huge parade for him 
you saved the me yeshiva. And he said, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know who the yeshiva is. I don't know who it is. I don't know what you want. He said, well, you, de- you, you, know, this, you dealt very honestly with this person. I, I, I don't know. No one knows. No one knows who it was. No one knows what it was. But somebody did something that made such a profound impression on a Gestapo officer who probably is, he could have had his head handed to him if someone found out about it. And that, so here you have an act that it was seemed to be restricting, and it revealed a godliness to the most godless person. So we probably will never ever see that type of effect of what we do. But that's that's. But God has his, um, his scheme, and every time you have, every time you have a, a, a chance to to have a relationship that's not right. And you say, you know, I really must pull back. It's wrong. That, that uncovers, that proclaims there's a God and there's truth and there's, and there's right and wrong much more powerfully than all the speeches could do. Even the codes can't do that. When you're able, when a person's able to, to stand up and say, it's tempting and I'd like to do it. I'm not allowed to and I think it's wrong. And I pull back. You uncover a little spark of God over there. So, in 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 the great world outside, every step we do that um, requires us to pull back and not do something wrong is a positive accomplishment. It's we need to study about it, and that's what it says in the pasuk lahavdo. In other words. If we're not aware of what we're doing, it's missing. Um, let's, give it, let's give ourselves an example so we get a sense of difference. Um, imagine that I'm in a bad mood and there's, I don't know, a piece of paper here and I throw blobs of paint on it. Just kind of a bad mood and getting out of it. And an art critic walks in and he says, wow, what a wonderful work of art. Very modern. It, and, and, um, and, he's, and, and I, I said, no, don't you see the way the white is clashing with the red and all of a sudden that big angry black spot over there and this is amazing. Now, I'm, I'm not a maven on arts. Let's assume that that happened to be a great work of art. I certainly am not an artist. In other words, if I didn't know what I'm doing and I had no idea and I vague, or let's say you have these little um, things to color in shaded areas. So yes, it takes some patience and it takes a bit of skill to do it. But when it's finished and you have those 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 lines and you know, the numbers and what to do and where, it's nice. But I can't say that this is my work. I can't fully call it work unless we're aware and also we're cognizant of what we're doing. And the more we understand the mechanics and, and the idea behind it, the more we're part of it. So if we study the laws that apply to business, to interactions, the whole gamut of those laws, we become partners. And it becomes <laughs> our doing. So the, 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 the second piece of the puzzle is that to study about it and to understand, both to know what we ought to do, what we ought not to do, but much more important than that is to become an active partner to it or, or to become the protagonist, to become the one who actually the author of that act rather than just 
it happened to come my way, and you told me, bring it there. I want to add one more thing, an opportunity when we're working out there. And this is probably, if I would say, it's probably the hardest halacha in the Torah to fulfill properly. Um, and it includes rabbis and teachers also. Except for Aish, but, but other, other rabbis and teachers. The, the, the is, this is the Rambam I'm reading from. It's in a section, um, it's in a, in its legal, legal area. The, the book is called Mishpatim, which is the book of civil law. And it deals with, with civil law, and Jewish civil law. He has one of the subsections of that is called the laws of being hired out. And schirut is a, um, generally speaking, it, it includes halachically both renting out property and working for a wage. Why that is so? When you when you start studying, ask, feel free to ask your rabbis. But but that's what it is. Schirut is laws dealing with, and it deals with employment. The Rambam has a habit that when he um, every time he finishes a section, he always adds. The sections tend to be extremely legalistic. They're very, very um, precisely written. Doesn't go on any tangents. Everything's precise the way the law should be. And he always adds at the very end, inclusive, he has something of some sort of moral teaching or something to learn from it, something to be careful about. So this is at the end of Sfirut. And he says like this. First he speaks about the laws of a person... Um, when he rents, when he hires somebody, and so on, how you're supposed to treat him, and so on and so forth. And then he says this following. I'll read it in Hebrew and translate. Just like the owner is not allowed to cut corners or withhold wages, the person working for somebody is not allowed to cut corners on the work he's doing. You know, we'll take a bit time off here, a bit time off there. And he sort of, he, he sort of withers away the entire day of, with just kind of um, fooling him. He's obligated to make sure that he gives the time that he's been hired to work for. He says something very interesting. In the old days, when people worked like intense farm work, it's the people working on a farm did not have to say the fourth blessing of the benching because they didn't want... The rabbis instituted that blessing. They felt it's an important blessing. But they didn't want people to um, take away from the work they were hired to do. So the first three blessings, the Torah obligates, so the Torah obligates. But the fourth one, that's how careful the rabbis were with work for the other. V'chein, says, You need to work with all you have. This is a very tough one. And let's take something very simple. Jews have always loved to be independent store owners and independent businessmen and shoopiness and so on. And one of the things, and human nature is, I'm not going to kill myself for him. 
I'm not going to kill myself so that he should be able to take a, a trip around the world. I'm doing enough. You know, as they say in the Fifth, I mean, Lord Freya Shalcha. You know, that's an, a, a great expression. It's human nature. We all feel no, the reason why privately owned businesses do so much better than public and certainly government. I come from a town that works for the government, and the, the typical when asked how's work, the typical answer is the pay is lousy, but thank God you don't have to strain yourself. It's, you know, the, the, you know we work as we're paid kind of thing. It's, it's, it's um, you know, I, and it's, listen, it's, it's typical, everyone understands it, but at the end of the day, that's not the Torah says, the chayin chayav lavavokoko, you've got to give it all you have. And he proves it. When we ask ourselves, what is the one place where Yaakov said well about himself? When Yaakov wanted to present his credentials to say that I did good, he says, He spoke to Lovin's daughters, to his wives, and he said, I gave every bit of what I have working for your father. Lefika, the Ramah says, Not as chazos he got his reward even this world. He became very successful and so on. I know it's very hard. And like I said, it's not, um, you know, it's tough. But at the end of the day, at least the first step is to know and to understand. So can, does anyone here, is anyone here able to really give it all he has? I mean, you really have to be in a very high magic. I'm in awe if somebody can say that. But certainly taking time off and away is wrong. Now, a person, we have a problem. I know the problem is that everybody else does it, so I end up really working with anybody else, and so on. You know, at some point, if you're high up in the ladder, if you can make a deal, say, listen, I want to be honest with you. I, I'm, I work without this, I want an hour off, I want this. I don't know. You know, it's, it, 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 that's something you can, if, if somebody is happy with what you're doing, you probably could get something, um, some better deal on the fact of it. But, but your obligation, no matter what, is to give it all you have. So every time you don't cut a corner, you're tempted to check your email now, you're tempted to, to do whatever it is, take care of business, and you don't. You're, you're, you're fulfilling something great. You're demonstrating a, a core obligation of relationship of a worker to an employer that's uniquely Jewish. This is, this is our Torah as much as everything else is our Torah. Same Torah. It's, and, and a person able to do it. So I guess to sort of sum up and wrap up, um, we're used to thinking of the spiritual as being the mystical kind of, the thing that's divorced from the world, a synagogue setting, a, a, a study setting, some sort of mitzvah that's religious in its nature, and that's where we tend to see the, the divine and the spiritual, and the reality is if you're fully engaged in, in working, it's not going to happen. It's, you're, you're going to be busy on other things. To say that 90% of my time is quote-unquote wasted or just a means to make a living doesn't sit well with us. We give 120 years of full life to use. But if we understand what the full scope of the spiritual means, spiritual means where my neshama transcends my body. And dancing and kind of getting lost in mysticism may be an example of it. Much more powerful is an example where I have a chance to cut a corner and, and earn something for it. And I say, no, it's wrong. And it's something that raises me. It's something that raises this, the, the environment up spiritually. And it 
it, it, it uncovers one of, another one of God's hidden sparks. And someday we'll understand that. Someday we'll understand what these are, these hidden sparks. But we're doing it. It's, it has to start, obviously, a, with a decision that we want to start uncovering God in the mundane and secular world. And it's harder a lot of times, because it's easy for us to sort of have, like, two separate kitchens. This is the religious kitchen. This is the secular kitchen. You know, this is, this is where we become holy. This is where we're just about human. And, and, and that's it. it it's, and, and so it becomes, it, it's tough. It becomes sometimes we, we don't feel good with ourselves for, for right reasons. Studying about it and learning. And, you, and you, don't have to be, you don't have to be afraid to study. This law that we just said bothers me. I'm human and, and, and I work for an employer. And, you know, it's, it's tough to give that type of every minute, every second, all your effort. Um, but, but don't shirk it. Understand it. And maybe if you move forward over a lifetime, an inch or two inches or three inches, you've done something real. Every time, so to learn and understand the scope of business relationships, the scope of interpersonal relationships, in every facet of it, work ethic, all these things is important to study. We, A, we have a chance of doing it if we study it. We understand what we're doing and it becomes meaningful to us. The rabbi just said you can't do, you can do, Okay, we do it, and it's nice, we, we, we listen, but at the end of the day, we're not part of the process. And understanding that the real fulfillment of that part of the Torah is when we have the chance and the temptation to do it. And the stronger the temptation, the greater the chance, the more of an act. It's like when not going anywhere is not an act, unless somebody's pulling you. And then standing still becomes a real act. It takes effort. And the stronger the pull is, or the push, and the, and the more you stand steadfast, the greater of an act it is. May we be fortunate to uncover the half of the Torah that we've been oblivious to. Our life will become so much more enriched. It will it'll open our eyes to opportunities every minute of the day. And the things that are tough for us, because the, we only think of them as staying out of trouble, they will become our bodybuilders, our, our neshama builders, and we will be so much the greater for it. Thank you, Rabbi Lubyansky. Thank you, Rabbi Kavak. Thank you, everybody. In about five minutes, we're going to be having a Mari for our teachers.